0: You can have a seat. Good morning. You can grab your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 8. That's where we will uh, be today. The last couple of weeks, we've seen Jesus' authority on display. He showed His power over nature, calming a storm with His words. Just the words from His mouth. He showed His power over uh, evil spirits, Satan and his minions, By freeing a man who had been tormented by many demons for years. And here in this passage today, which closes out Luke chapter 8, we will see Jesus' power over sickness and even death. The reality is, all the destruction we see around us, the brokenness we experience, comes because of the effects of sin in the world. Pastor Tim Keller uh, said something along these lines in a tweet that I think I read this morning, they all blurs together, but we look at the brokenness of the world around us and we know something's not right. We know this is not how it's supposed to be. Now, I don't mean that all, uh, all of the brokenness is a one-for-one relationship between our sin and our brokenness. Like, I did something, therefore I'm paying for it in this way. That's not exactly what I mean. But what I do mean is this. All the world is broken because when sin entered... At the very beginning, with the disobedience of our first parents, it fractured everything. Everything. The image of God in humanity was marred. It was distorted. The the world and all of its functions created good by God. The world was now cracked. And the order that God had established and called good was now upset. It was turned over. So, storms and wars and sickness and death, each of these things is a tangible reminder that all is not as it should be. And the, re- the reason why is because of sin. See, we read the, the account of creation, we go all the way back, and we see all the times God created something and said, It is good. 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 It is very good. And we wonder, why is it not that so often? It wasn't. The, it's not the way it was supposed to be. And we all feel it. We all experience heartache at the loss of someone we love. We know that shouldn't be. We all experience pain. And the consequences of both our own sin, which we've all experienced, and... We experience the shame when, and have to bear that when someone sins against us. That doesn't make sense. We, we know that's not how it should be. We all experience discouragement when the bad or painful things seem to linger, right? They don't seem to be resolved and we wonder, this shouldn't be this way. And maybe today, maybe today you're not feeling down. Maybe this is a bummer way to start Valentine's Day. Talking about brokenness. Maybe today you're actually feeling pretty optimistic. I'm glad. I really am. This isn't all doom and gloom. Because even though there is harshness in our reality, we are not without hope. And I think that's what we should see in this passage. There's a reality to brokenness that we can all relate with and relate to. But here I think we will see this shining example That Jesus is giving us this shining perspective of true and lasting hope. Because sometimes life is hard. And it's hard to to hold on. It's hard to have faith. You hear that sometimes in the midst of your hardship, in the midst of your sorrow. And you're like, okay, I know that in theory, but I don't know what that looks like in real time. Sometimes it's hard to believe. But what we'll see here in Luke chapter 8 is that putting our faith in Jesus... Faith in Jesus is never a misplaced faith. It's never misplaced to put it in Jesus because Jesus alone is able to turn our shame into a showcase of His grace and turn our sadness to joy. That's what I hope we see here in Luke chapter 8. Let's read our passage together in Luke 8, starting in verse 40. We're going to read all the way to the end of the chapter and finish out uh, Luke chapter 8. Today, this is the word of the Lord for us today. Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 40. Now, when Jesus had returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. Verse 41. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garments. And immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, someone... "'Touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me.' "'And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, "'she came trembling and, falling down, or falling down before him, "'declared in the presence of all the people "'why she had touched him "'and how she had been immediately healed. "'He said to her, "'Daughter, your faith has made you well. "'Go in peace.' "'While he was still speaking, "'someone from the ruler's house came and said, "'Your daughter is dead.' Do not trouble the teacher any more. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to go in, excuse me, no one to enter with him, except for Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called her, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that, she, 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 that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. This is the word of the Lord for us today. This is a tale of two healings. We see Jesus healing a woman who had suffered for 12 years years and we see Jesus raising a 12 year old dead girl back to life again now we could have read verse 40 last week after Jesus left with his disciple from the Gerasenes, after healing the man who had many demons Luke tells us they got into the boat and went back to the west side of Galilee and verse 40 reads now when Jesus returned the crowd welcomed him for they were waiting for him Jesus at this point had become somewhat of a celebrity. Crowds gathered and they would anticipate where he's going next and would kind of go on ahead and wait for him there. So when he would show up in places, there would already be people expecting him, waiting for him. So he was returning from across the lake and crowds begin to gather again. The anticipation there, almost wondering, where did you go in the middle of the night? And now you're here with us again. And immediately, Jesus says, someone approached him. Luke tells us of of these two miracles, and they're kind of sandwiched together. We we first meet this this desperate father named Jairus, who who seeks out healing for his very sick daughter. But we don't hear his whole story yet. We meet him. And then on the way, because apparently Jesus said, okay, I'll, I'll go to your house. On the way, they meet this other woman who had a terrible condition that lasted 12 years, Luke says. And she couldn't find any help. And then they continue after that. So there's kind of a a sandwich here of the story where we meet this man whose daughter is sick. And then in the middle, we encounter this woman who Jesus heals. And then we hear the conclusion of the first story. So we're going to look at these two healings kind of sandwiched together. First, we meet this man. Luke tells us, that Jairus was a ruler in the synagogue in Galilee. This would have meant that he held a position of high honor among the Jews. He would be seen as a religious leader of sorts. And now the leaders of the Jews at this time were no fans of Jesus. So this is important to note. He is already upsetting the order of things amongst the religious elite. And so the fact that this man would seek him out is important. At this point, we don't know why. Perhaps he's just showing signs of desperation. We've tried everything else, and so maybe this Jesus guy who we've heard about and don't like very much, but apparently he's getting results. So I'll go check with him. We don't know. We don't know his motives. We also don't know what caused his daughter to be sick, but he was convinced she was dying. And any parent in the room can feel that desperation right alongside this dad, can't they? His only daughter, who was 12 years old, was dying. And Luke tells us that he fell down at Jesus' feet and implored him to come to his house, strongly encouraging. It's not quite begging, it's almost like prodding (laughs) to come and heal his daughter. This man is desperate for anything that could help his little girl. And so he seeks out Jesus. And so they set out for Jairus' house. As Jesus went, Luke says, as he went, the people pressed around him. And that's when we meet this unnamed woman. This is the story within the story. Verse 43, it says, There was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And without getting too descriptive... What is being described here is basically 12 straight years, non-stop menstrual cycle. Only not a cycle, just happening. A 12-year period. Kids, if you're in the room and you're like, what's that? Talk to your parents. It's not my job today to do that. So a couple of parents who I know are like, thanks, Jake. Thanks for that. But that's what's happening here. Okay, not only was this physically uncomfortable and debilitating for such a long time, but according to the Old Testament cleanliness laws, this would have also kept her isolated from her own family and from the broader community. So not only was it painful and uncomfortable, it was also a crushing reality that she would be isolated and alone. And Luke tells us she had spent all her living on physicians and could not be healed by anyone. She had seen every doctor that she could afford and maybe some she couldn't. Every specialist. And no one was able to help this woman. She is clearly desperate for healing. And so she seeks out Jesus. There is in this in these two stories this shared desperation, a, a hopelessness almost. It's almost... Tangible. And so they seek out Jesus in hopes of healing. This is what happens. Verse 44. She came up behind him in the midst of the crowds and just touches the fringe of Jesus' garment. Jesus would have likely worn a, a robe or a cloak kind of over his his clothing. And, and along the edge of the seam of that robe or cloak would have been fringe or tassels. And this woman, desperate, for healing believes apparently that if she could just get close enough, all I got to do, if he really is who he says he is, if, if the stories I've heard about him are true, then all I have to do is just get close enough. If I can just touch the, the hem of his garment, just grab onto the fringe a little, that should be enough. And so she touches the fringe of his garment and immediately Luke says her discharge of blood ceased. Immediately she experiences freedom from 12 years of agonizing pain immediately. Can, can, you, can you imagine that for a second? Like the eyes of a blind person, a blind man seeing for the first time. Can you imagine the shock? It, it's likely, we, we don't know her reaction in full, but but you can imagine it's likely she just froze. She pressed her way against social norms to get close to Jesus Out of desperation. And then she's healed. Just frozen. As the crowds just continued to press along. The miracle had happened. And in verse 45, Luke says, Jesus stopped and asked, Who was it that touched me? All the people around him denied it. Peter almost chastises Jesus, which probably is never a good thing to do. And it's like, how can you ask that? Like, there's so many people here. They're all persing, pushing it around you. How, how Like, be reasonable here, Jesus. What do you mean who touched you? And Jesus says, someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. Now, there's a little mystery here. Jesus apparently could tell when supernatural power was at work, uh, working through him. And in this case, spiritual power was at work and healed this woman. And he knew it. Verse 47, when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him and declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. This is a remarkable exchange. And here's why. Jesus, in essence, calls her out. In asking who touched me, he forces her to come forward. And she does not just say, like, it was me. But then tells, in the presence of all the crowd who could, who could stand around, who could hear her, declares to them, here's why I came. Exposing her shame, if you will, and her pain. And declaring, and he's healed me of that. This was likely a large crowd. There were likely and probably many people there who had no idea who this woman was. And here she was, bearing her shame in front of the whole crowd of people. Now, regarding this, you might feel a little uncomfortable with Jesus' method here. Why would he do that? Why Wouldn't wouldn't he want to protect this woman who was likely already buried in shame and condemnation? I mean, he knew power had left him he could have probably just smiled knowing exactly what happened as the eternal Son of God and said, I healed her and he, the grin came on his face and he was happy for her freedom and he could have kept going. But he didn't because he was doing more than healing the woman. See, Jesus does this, I think, not to expose her shame all the more, but to expose her faith. Jesus takes her shame and uses it as a way to showcase His grace to her. That's what's happening here. I happily stole that phrase, Jesus showcasing his grace. I happily and gladly stole that phrase from a man named John Bloom, who's a writer at Desiring God. And so I'm telling you that, so you can't accuse me of plagiarism. I'm quoting him. Okay? Bloom says this, What Jesus was exposing in that moment was not her weakness and shame. What he was exposing was her faith. He wanted her faith visible so that everyone who carries a secret shame, which is every one of us, might have hope. Bloom continues later in this article. He says that place of shame will not remain. Jesus is turning it into a showcase of his grace. And this is true. Many of us carry around in our our secret shame. And we might need to hear this same thing. That the shame that we carry does not need to remain. It doesn't have to stay covered. And we don't need to carry it around either. Rather, Jesus calls it out so that grace might live in the place once occupied by our shame. This is the gospel on display in the healing of this woman. So what shame do you still carry around that is in need of healing? I believe Jesus is, is inviting us to, to offer it back up to him so that grace might fill that space instead. It's a kindness, a tenderness on display from Jesus. He wanted this woman to know, and he look at the language. He calls her daughter. It's an endearing term of compassion and welcome. She is not an outcast. She belongs. It's tender. It's not harsh. Daughter, he tells her, your faith is not in vain. Your hope wasn't just superstition. That you just believed that I could heal you and and it was just, you know, hocus pocus. No, no, you actually believed that I could heal you and I can and I will. Jesus is telling her, your faith in me is not misplaced. It is real. Not only that, but those who are listening would understand the reality of being unclean and being made clean. See, Jesus was not only healing her physically, although he was. Not only was he confirming her faith and building her up to say, yes, you've placed your faith in the right thing, in me. He was also doing that, but he was also in declaring her healed Restoring her to the community that she had lost. She was no longer unclean. And Jesus was affirming that. She was no longer estranged. No longer forced to live outside and away from her others. She was completely healed and restored. That's what's happening here. Thus reunited with her family. Reunited with her community. Your faith. Jesus says. Your faith in what? Your faith in healing? Your faith in faith? Jesus is saying, your faith in me has made you well. Go in peace. And that's the last we hear of this woman. That's it. And all of this happens in the midst of a crowd with Jesus' disciples and this man who is desperate for his daughter to be healed right now. There and as Jesus is speaking to the woman, someone from Jairus's house comes to him and says, Hey, it's too late, never mind, don't, don't bother the teacher anymore. Your daughter has died. Talk about a letdown. In one moment, this man is watching with astonishment the miraculous healing of a woman who had been in anguish for 12 long years, and in the next moment, his heart sinks. Because 12 years, while long for her, is far too short for the life of his baby girl. But Jesus is having none of that. And his, his answer to the man who comes and says, do, do, do not fear. Only believe and she will be well. This, this seems to be enough for Jesus to keep going, so they keep going. And when they arrive at the house, family and friends have already begun grieving the loss of this girl. The process of corporate and community mourning has already begun. That's mourning with a U. They have begun wailing and crying. They were all told to wait outside except for Peter, James, and John along with uh, Jairus and his wife. Verse 52 says there was weeping and mourning when they entered the house. So close family and friends at this time would have gathered ready to corporately mourn. There was likely music and wailing. If you were a really wealthy, well-to-do family, which as a leader of the synagogue, you may have actually hired professional mourners to come alongside and to like wail along with the family. It's a lot of commotion. And Jesus tells them to quiet down, to stop crying, because the girl isn't dead. She's only sleeping. And Luke eight fifty three is fascinating. As I read it this week, it hit me every time I came across it. The people laughed at him knowing that she was dead. They laughed at him because they knew, they knew, they knew she was dead. Matthew and Mark record actually the same response that they didn't scoff. They didn't cry out in disbelief. They laughed I know that sometimes I will try to make a joke in an awkward situation. And maybe that's happening here. But I don't think so. The phrase here, they they laughed at him, gives the connotation of mock and ridicule. These aren't people that are just uncomfortable. Like, (laughs) I don't know what to do. These are people who are mocking Jesus. Like, how dare you? Who do you think that you are coming in here and telling us this? That's the picture there. They laughed at Jesus because they knew she was already dead. And here Jesus confronts all of them to their faces, their unbelief, because that's what this is. This is a picture of unbelief. And he confronts them to their faces, not by arguing with them, not by correcting them out loud. He reaches out and takes the little girl by the hand and simply says, child, get up. And Luke tells us that her spirit returned and Jesus directed that she should be given something to eat. See, Jesus shows his power and authority not only over physical sickness as in the healing of the woman, but even over death itself. And can you imagine the look of everyone in the room who was sure five seconds ago that this girl was dead? And now she's eating a sandwich. Can you imagine the look on their faces? If there was any question to the validity of Jesus' claims about himself or his message of the kingdom... Those people in the room should have very clear proof of what this man claims. He was doing, live and in person, exactly what he said he would do. We opened our time this morning from Isaiah 61. This is the scroll that Jesus opened and read in his hometown synagogue and said to them, Today, this message, this prophecy from Isaiah has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is me, he's saying. Beauty for ashes. Oil of gladness instead of mourning. The garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. He was proving it right before their eyes. If some were laughing, they aren't laughing now. So Luke concludes that the girl's parents were amazed, obviously. But Jesus charged them to tell no one what had happened. See, Jairus was desperate to reach out to Jesus just like the woman, but there was a difference. The woman truly believed in Jesus. Jesus said as much Your faith has made you well. And Jairus maybe believed, but still wasn't sure, was willing to try anything, but perhaps was still not convinced. Jesus tells him multiple times Don't be afraid, believe. Don't be afraid, believe. I think it was for the benefit of this man, Jairus. I, bl- I think it was for the benefit of his faith that Jesus kept him there to witness his healing of this woman who reached out to touch his robe. He needed to see that kind of faith on display because in about five minutes he was going to need that kind of faith himself when his daughter wasn't breathing. He was distraught over his daughter but to lose her he he needed an anchor and jesus responds to say it's it's good to put your trust in me now back to where we started we too know the pain of heartbreak we know the loss of a loved one the the shame we pile on ourselves in our sin the shame and scars we bear because of the sins of others against us we have situations that drive us to discouragement because they just aren't getting any better. We get a diagnosis that doesn't end in miraculous healings, but in a memorial service. How long, O Lord? As the psalmist cries out. Sometimes the encouragement of have faith or believe in Jesus is good in theory, but gets drowned out by the overwhelming weight of all the other stuff. You hear that. Yes, trust in Jesus in the midst of this, but what does this look like in real life? This is where we too benefit from being witnesses to the power of Jesus on display. Clearly, Jesus has the power to calm every storm, to break every chain, and to heal us of every sickness. And this is a promise to everyone who has faith in Him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old passed away. Behold, the new has come. 1 Peter 2 verse 24. He Himself, Jesus, bore our sins in His body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. These promises are ours in Christ Jesus. I firmly believe that. And I also know That not every promise will be fully realized in this life. It's still ours. It is still true. And it may not be fully realized here in these years that God gives me. Hebrews 11 tells the story of those who had faith in Jesus long before they knew the name of Jesus. And Hebrews 11 says that sometimes the invading army is destroyed and scattered. And sometimes the invading army takes over and carries people off into exile. Sometimes women receive back their dead, Hebrews 11 says. Moms and dads receive back their dead in glorious healing. And sometimes they bury their dead. Is God any less good? Is Jesus any less powerful? See, discouragement... Discouragement doesn't have to lead to doubt but sometimes just to a place of desperation where we, like this woman or like this dad, run to Jesus pleading for His mercy, pleading for His help. Being in a place of desperation is not a bad place to be. The worry for our own hearts is that sometimes as that discouragement lingers, it leads not to desperation for Jesus and clinging to Him, but to to doubt not a wrestle, not something challenging. When I use doubt in this context, I'm talking about unbelief. It's the scoffing at Jesus. It's the echo of the first lie told in the garden. The thing that set off this whole terrible chain of events. The fracturing of the cosmos because of sin. Did God really say? Is this promise really true? Does God really love us? If so, fill in the blank. If he was really good, why isn't he doing something? Why is this still happening? Why does this still hurt? Now hear me, these are legitimate questions. I'm not dissing the question. But they are for us an opportunity. A crossroads, if you will. Do we, can we, by faith, take hold of the promises we read in God's Word for those who belong to Jesus? Can we hold fast to them? Jesus is calling us to a deeper faith. To quote John Bloom again, shamelessly, do you want deliverance from your shame? (laughs) He says, come to Jesus believing. Come desperately determined to touch Him. And if faith is weak, cry out, I believe, help my unbelief, increase my faith. Here in the end of Luke chapter 8, Jesus is showing Himself to have all authority and all power over all things. This, This... triad of his display of power and that if we believe in him whatever grace our lord sovereignly and lovingly gives to us will be enough for us we hold fast to that that his grace will be sufficient for us second corinthians chapter 12 we can be sure that the one who began this work in us Will be faithful to bring it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. We can be encouraged that even when we can't see it, that God is mysteriously and mercifully always working all things together for our good, Romans 8, verse 28, and that no matter what we face, no matter what we carry, whether it ends with a miracle or a memorial service, that all the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. We believe this. So let us hear the words of Jesus to this desperate Father. Do not fear. Only believe. See, putting our trust in Jesus even when we can't see, even when it's hard, even when we have a pile of questions, putting our trust in Jesus is never misplaced. Never misplaced. Because He is the one who is able to turn our shame into a showcase of God's grace. He is the one who is who's able to turn all of our sorrows to joy. Would you pray with me? Father, we confess that we are so limited and weak. It is hard for us to see beyond the edge of our face at times. And so I thank you that you are gracious that it doesn't faze you when we come to you with our burdens and our woes and our confusions and our questions, that you're big enough for all of that. Would you stir in our hearts a a fresh sense of desperation to to come to you? A a willingness to, to lay all of that stuff, whatever those questions or concerns are, to lay them down before you, trusting that you can carry them, that you are sufficient, and that although we might not even get an answer right away, That we can trust You with all of that. Give us eyes to see You for who You are, our good and gracious God. Would You speak to us now, Holy Spirit, in our sorrows, in our brokenness, in our shame. Call us from our sin. And bring us in from our our outcast place of shame and brokenness. That we might know that we are known. That we might be encouraged to take hold of the promise that it's by your wounds that we are healed. We ask this in Jesus' name this morning. Amen. Amen.